HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's uh, January 30th, 2018. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We're really happy to be here. It's been a rough winter in New York City, but we are drinking good beer here in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza. There's a couple of special guests coming in tonight. Ken Landon from Crossroads Brewery up in Athens, New York. And Phil Markowski from... Uh, Two Roads Brewing in Connecticut is is on his way in. But a uh, big shout-out to uh, Union Beer Distributors, our sponsor, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. So in, in the room right now, um, I've got Kenny Landon from Crossroads. He's feverishly doing some uh, work emails. How are you, Kenny? Uh, that was a long ride down, but I'm good. I'm good. good. And Justin Kennedy, our producer. Hey, what's up, Jimmy? So, uh, you know, Kenny, when we first met, you know, you got a great backstory. Let, let's bring that up for our listeners. So originally you were a contractor who was also repping beer. And tell us a little bit about that, because that's a great story. Which one's worse, contractor or the beer <laughs> rep? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was a drywall contractor for uh, quite some time um, and got into the beer business with a very good friend of mine, Chuck uh, Williamson from Butternuts Beer and Al, and uh, proceeded to uh, work for Just Beer. Um, I would leave the job sites, uh, with cases and cases and cases of pork slot pale ale in the back of my van. And I would visit Home D's. I would visit visit bars, and uh, I would drop them off. This is back in, oh, God, it's uh, early 2000, maybe? Yeah, maybe 2004 or five. Yeah. So, you know, um, when my love of beer started at well it started before that but um i just was intrigued and really wanted to get into uh the beer industry at that point in time 
Yeah, no, I mean, when we, when we first met you, you, you had opened up Crossroads in Athens, New York, and it was one of those places, you know, we forget how, how fast things have changed. Athens, New York, across the river from Hudson River from what? Hudson, New York? Yes, yes. And people didn't even know where it was. No. But you did the right thing. So what did you, you found an old uh, space. Yeah, back in uh, 2000, and well, through my <clears throat> experience, excuse me, my experiences with uh, butternuts, I got to learn the industry, not, not from a, um, a, a brewery, uh, brewing perspective, but more from a um, sales, marketing, brewery rep perspective. And uh, that was kind of intriguing to me because I, I, a lot of people get into it the other way, but I learned it that way. So I kind of understood the three-tier system. I kind of understood what, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, how to get your beer out there, how to work with sales reps, how to work with distribution networks and whatnot. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I eventually through that experience decided that you know this was something that i wanted to get into on my own um not knowing i mean back then i think god we i i know jimmy i know you for a long time i think we were drinking 10 years ago at least i i, I don't I, I couldn't even tell you what the the the, the beers were i mean i when, when i started drinking it was pete's wicked al and sierra <laughs> nevada you know so um, but then when you know the thing is you did the right thing when you opened it was an old opera house in Athens, New York. Yes. And yes. now I think people know Athens, they know Catskill, the actual town of Catskill, New York. Uh, you know, there's a what's the diner up in Catskill that are that's famous? Phoenicia Diner. Phoenicia Diner, it's you know, Phoenicia, even 10 years ago these things weren't happening, but you were up there. And you're a New York guy too, right? You're from a Bay Ridge, right? I'm from Bayside, Bayside, Bayside Queens. different place. Yeah. Bayside <laughs> Flushing, I grew up. I went to high school in uh, uh Flushing. Who knows the difference between Bayside and Bay Ridge? Yeah, I do. You do. <laughs> What, what was it? Like a, a vowel? Maybe a vowel? <laughs> a different vowel, maybe? Totally different cultures, Ken. How about the water? <laughs> the water's okay? I don't know. I know we got a brewery now in uh, Bay Ridge, so. Oh, which one's that, Justin? Uh, Fifth Borough. Or uh, Five Boroughs, I'm sorry. They're in Bay Ridge? Yeah. Wow. I think that's Bay Ridge. I don't know. Most of us don't even know the city. <laughs> Industry City, Bay Ridge area? I know Kenny knows it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fun for me to see you again because it's been a long time. But back then, yeah, it's like you came out, you had a, what, Hutch Klug, Klugman? Kugman. Kugman. I can't say his name right either. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Who was a great uh, young brewer. Yes. And how did you meet Hutch and start working with him? It's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> Hutch was, uh, I, I always get the uh, upstate breweries wrong too, Lake Placid and Adirondack. But he was he was up in the Adirondacks. He was brewing Lake Placid. He went to Ithaca. Um, I was interviewing a bunch of people to come and, uh, you know, brew at the, uh, the Athens facility and a, a name came up and I shot Hutch an email and I basically said, Hey, um, this guy's looking to come and brew for me. Uh, can you recommend him? Can you not recommend him? And, you know, and then at the end of the email and he can vouch for this, I wrote, the job is yours if he's still interested. And he was like, well, actually, I am. <laughs> and that was it. So um, you're, you're so good, man. Classic sales. You know, <laughs> you start by asking for uh, recommendations and then you really want him. So, hey, man, it was, you know, it was one of those things. We were lucky to have him. Um, you know, uh, he, he's a phenomenal brewer, still is a phenomenal brewer. He went on to the CIA. He's doing great things at, 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 uh, at, at the culinary I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, so, you know, it's been a long, long road for me. Um, just growing up in this in this beer industry, it was like a whole new reincarnation um, from an occupation for myself. And to watch what 
you know, when, when I left Bayside, Queens, and I left Long Island, there was like, it was like four or five breweries, if that. Now, what the industry has accomplished over the last, you know, nine, ten years is absolutely mind-boggling. And, and when you opened, Kenny, it was different. It wasn't like there wasn't the incentive of a, like, New York farm brewery license. You went in the existing conditions, which, which you know, were what they had been for a long time, and you opened a, a brewery in Athens, New York. I mean, yeah, that took was, some balls. I mean, because guys were talking about things like that, and then they decided to open in Brooklyn or Queens. Yeah, well, I give those guys even more credit because uh, I don't think I would be able to accomplish what I what what we've accomplished in the city at the time because, you know, the laws and just the awareness and all the other things were just not there. They, it, nobody really had a clue. Oh, you know, yeah, you want to open up a brewery? You know, well, yeah, well, that's what we're going to do. You know, you, you had to have food. You had, The SLAs was was just uh, the the licensing and, and just all of those things were so, so, um, so hard and not, nobody, nobody knew. Nobody knew. I mean, 10 years, I think about it, it's only 10 years. I mean, and, and now look what goes on. You know, you can get a brand reg, uh, registration in five days. You can get your licensing in, in a couple of months. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me how things have progressed, honestly. You know, and back then, what did it take to open a brewery in Athens, New York? I mean, were there codes in place? Did, did, did they inspect you at all? Well, nobody, like I said, nobody knew and what was going on. And actually, the SLA really dictated it. And, you know, you had to have food. So that forced me into the restaurant industry, which I have no desire to be in. No, no offense to anybody who's a, a successful restaurateur. Um, it just wasn't my thing. I come from a construction background. I wanted to sell beer. Um, you know, so. But you wanted to have a tasting room, and that's why you had to do the food. And yeah. we and, and we had to have, we had to have, you know well, that was all in the beginning. That was all our only revenue source was was the tasting room. You know, you come in, you give away six ounce, two ounce, four ounce, six ounce glasses of beer, and people would buy a growler to go. That's how we made our money. You know, I feel like a dinosaur right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're all, but you also, you know, that's why we we met because. Because you couldn't really sell out of, out of your, your brewery, you were coming to New York. Let's talk about that. You, you met some, a small distributor, and you really went out of your way. And, and you, that's how I met you. Your beer was great. You had the cross with Outrage IPA. And you came to New York City, and, and you were really doing great. Yeah. Well, we met Joe Marino from American Beer. I can't say enough about Joe. He not only um, you know, put our beer out there for a short period of time that we were able to get it out there, but he also taught me a tremendous amount about the industry, um, which I thank him for to this day. Um, I, I would have never, ever been able to even, you know, that knowledge, that on-site knowledge, you, need, you, you can't be taught that. You have, to, you have to have it within you, and you have to learn it on your own sometimes, you know. And, but Joe was great. Um, he brought us to uh, a level, you know, which wasn't a high level because – like I said earlier, we were at capacity uh, in Athens within, oh man, within 
two years, we were at capacity. So you had a seven-barrel system. We had a seven-barrel system. You've been yeah. working with that for a long time, too. Long, long, very, very long time. We had a seven-barrel system. We were at capacity. We're doing 900 barrels a year. I mean, that's the, to these breweries that are out now, you know, you talk about these uh, right around this area, you know, Grimm and Other Half and Single Cut and, you know, Barrier. And, you know, these guys are cranking out beer. We, we cranked out 900 barrels for the last eight years. You know, we 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 started from the ground up. We developed our brand, Outrage IPA, which is an award-winning beer. Um, and it's only this past month that we were able to actually put it into cans. That's what so, we're drinking right now, right, Ken? Yeah. So that, Crossroads absolutely. Outrage IPA. Crossroads Out, Out, Outrage IPA, and it's been a long road. This is, you know, um, slow and steady wins the race, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I you you guys know the demographics out here better than I do, um, and uh, I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, I'm still out there. Can we don't do demographics? <laughs> <laughs> We're just we feel good vibes. Is that too right big on, of a, Kenny? Is that too big of a word or right on? Uh, you know. So you're sending? Are you sending this to the city, Ken, or it's only available what at your brewery? Well, hopefully after this uh, broadcast, yeah, we're gonna get a big. Uh, but we're, we're building up to that, Justin. We know there's going to be an expansion on the horizon, but I want to set the story a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, those, those were all good times. And, and actually, that was something that I liked about the era, is that because you didn't have, you couldn't really sell out of the brewery, you had to come to New York, and you had to, you had to meet accounts. And it was a different time, and, and there was a, a beauty to it. So what were some of the beer bars that really embraced you in those early days in New York City? Oh, well. Right off the top of my head, I mean, you know, I developed some very, very good relationships with uh, um, Blind Tiger, Pony Bar, um, obviously Jimmy's 43. You guys were just instrumental in getting us out there. Um, I can't thank you enough, Jimmy. You took us in when when I would call you up and be like, ah, I got I got like five or six kegs of this stuff. Can you take it? You're like, bring it down, man. We'll do something with it. And I, I, I love you for that. That was that was awesome. Um, you know, Tap Room 304 was a big place um, for us uh, when that eventually got opened. Um, and I have a couple of friends uh, out in Bayside, uh, Press 195. They were phenomenal. They took anything that I gave them, you know, and it was like, I need to sell these five kids. Can you take them? Yes, bring them. So, well, know. it was fresh too. I mean, you, you know, you were a, a new brewery with really good beer from upstate. And our ethos then was like, let's buy local. But there weren't as many new breweries as there are now. There was none. So, there was none. I mean, think about it. You know, yeah. To, and then the laws changed. So in New York, uh, you, a few years ago, microbreweries could sell pints and basically run a bar. Um, did that blow it up for you? Well, we were in the brew pub phase, so we had already conformed to those um, um, those laws with the you know how, how they were. We had to have food, so we were already into that. So our new facility, well, I don't. Well, let's jump so forward. Jump so, yeah. that, our new facility now, obviously, um, we're able to have a tap room um, with limited limited food. Um, we can sell pints. Um, you know, we can sell growlers. We can sell cans. And if I had, I look back, and if I had that opportunity to do that back when Athens opened, that's a whole other ball game. I mean. We, we we gave away more beer than we sold for quite some time back then, and uh, you know it was it, it was a strain on us, and it's it's amazing that we actually pulled through, honestly, you know. 
And you said that there was something about building your brand that way, that you stuck with it, um, and you feel like now there might be a shakedown going on with some of the brands that have been around for a while. Well, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm, still try, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I think fast, fast growth, <clears throat> that's a challenge. You know, I think in this day and age, fast growth, I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of smaller breweries that, you know, the one barrel, the two barrel, and these guys are wide-eyed and they're looking at the industry and saying, wow, this is a, you know, lucrative industry that I can possibly get into and make some money. And you need to really rethink that because um, it's, number one, it's not lucrative and you don't get into this industry to make money. That's number one. Honestly, I mean, if it happens, it's a wonderful thing, but you're not, I, I know a lot of brewers and a lot of brewers that I talk to are not money driven people. They do it because they love it. Um, you know, so it, this landscape right now that's going on, I, I really, I really feel for the, 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 uh, the newer brewers that are coming into this and I hope they have a very, very solid business plan. And I hope they went to accounting 101, not to coin a phrase from Tommy Keegan, but he taught me that he, you know, accounting 101 is number one. Um, and understand, you know, what you're getting into and, and <clears throat> the landscape is changing constantly right now. And it's a challenge. There's, there's no doubt about it. You need to be nimble. You need to be quick. You need to understand your industry. You need to understand, you know, what people are drinking consistently, not not just next week or the, all the time. And it's a challenge. It's an absolute it's challenge. Well, this is a good start to this show. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Patrick Martins founded Heritage Foods USA in 2002 to save endangered species of livestock from extinction. He learned about the plight of endangered foods while working for Slow Food, a nonprofit started in 1986 in Italy when the first McDonald's opened on the Spanish steppes of Rome. To counter the homogenizing effects of fast food, Slow Food was formed to bring attention to regional cuisines and ingredients. By 2000, Patrick was the president of Slow Foods USA and working on adding heritage breeds to their arc of taste. But he decided to go further than a metaphorical arc and actually do something to preserve rare breeds. That was the moment that Heritage Foods' slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. <laughs> Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. That was a great ad, Heritage Foods USA. Cheers to Patrick Martins, my hero, my inspiration. Without him, I would Beer Sessions Radio would not be here, and Heritage Radio Network would not be here. So check it out, Heritage Foods USA, great sponsor of this network. So we're going back a little bit. We're, we're with a, a, the thing about craft beer pioneers is that 
it just means that when you started, things weren't easy and you had to have a passion. It also means that guys like Kenny from Crossroads have a great story to tell. And we're, we're sitting here, we've talked to him a few times over the years, but this is a great show right now. And Justin, uh, you had a leading question for uh, Kenny? Yeah, I just wanted you mentioned before the break that, uh, you know, guys in the, or new, people that are coming into the industry now need to stay nimble and be fast and, you know, know the industry. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, what have you done over the last, what, 12 years or so to, to keep up or to, yeah, stay relevant, I guess. Well, first and foremost, we, you know, unfortunately, we got to pay the bills. So we got to do what we got to do to pay the bills. But, um, you know, developing a brand, um, you know, the Outrage IPA is our signature beer, and we've developed this brand for quite some time. It's It, it just didn't come out of the gate yesterday or the day before. You know, it's been, it's been in the works for, you know, a good nine, ten years, and maybe even more than that, because the you know originally we, we we changed the recipe. We went back and forth, and I know Jimmy wants to hear about the recipe, but <laughs> I'm not going to tell him. What, um, it may have um, changed. But it's, it's, it's not, not a, have changed. It's the same. It's not a double dry hopped hazy IPA. No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. Do but, you make any of those? But um, yes, we do actually. We we we, and that that goes to your question is being nimble and and and. You know, but but still holding holding true to what we believe in. Um, sure, you know everybody can jump on the uh, unfiltered IPA bandwagon or the black IPA bandwagon or the imperial or the all these made up names that we feel the need to make up names for these beers. Sure, we can brew them. Yeah, we're going to do one this week, and uh, you know we're going to put it in cans. And yeah, we can do it. Absolutely, um, but. You know, this is outrage and Black Rock style of what we do, and um, absolutely, can we can we brew a double or a quad or any of those styles? One hundred percent. And uh, let, let's jump. I think we got our, our two roads guys joining us. Um, quick note: you mentioned like sometimes you need to turn around cash cash flow. Um, you know th- these this, these cans of the outrage IPA you, you put out. Um, what does that mean to you as, as a small brewery? You, you got a, a batch of cans. Um, does that does that make your cash flow when you need it? Well, first and foremost, Outrage IPA has been uh, 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 in demand for quite some time. For us to put it put them in that beer in cans at this point in time, it was a milestone for us. You know, like you said, it wasn't something that we we just made up overnight. We developed this brand and. Um, you know, we're proud of it, and uh, we're happy with it. We think the packaging came out wonderful, and um, we're going to run with it, you know, nine, ten years later. So we're going to see what happens. It's great. So uh, is, is Phil Markowski here? There's some other guys. There's some other people walking in this room. I don't know who they are. So let's uh, – you guys are taking over. Two roads just showed up. But it's funny. It's Ken. So guess what? You're the star. Last yeah, time you're on, <laughs> on the way in, he said, he said, oh, last time I was on, Garrett Oliver was on and <laughs> couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I'm like, oh, Phil Markowski's coming in tonight. And he's Thanks, like, guys. doing it to me again. Thanks. So you put me on, the last two times you put me on with Garrett Oliver and Phil Markowski. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Since you guys are late, well, I don't know how much we're going to talk to you, but we're, uh, we've been talking with Ken, kind of like the evolution of him as a craft beer pioneer in New York. So why don't you guys introduce yourself so I know who you are. This is kind of cool. 
I love this. We always recommend if you, you want to come to the bar at Roberta's 4.30 on a Tuesday. I, I invite a lot of guests on that way. But you guys just, just reps. <laughs> this, and of course, this guy can't talk on here, but somebody here can. So I'm uh, M. Sauter. I'm the uh, communications manager at Two Roads Brewing. And Phil is in the men's room. But he is in the <laughs> building, I swear. This is the best intro ever. Yeah. And also, <laughs> d- don't you do that cool cartoon? I do. I'm the creator and uh, cartoonist behind Pints and Panels. Have which, you seen that? I love that. And I got, I, I, my book just came out. On uh, in October, high five! Congratulations! Thank you. And I was lucky; it was like two or three winners ago. I actually went up t- to your brewery in yes, Connecticut. Yes, you did, and we had um, a delicious dinner. And you came and introduced, and you interviewed myself and Phil, and I think John Kleinchester was with us, and uh, in the back room, which is now someone's office. And uh, we had a lot of fun that evening. That's great. Yeah. Well, Kenny, Kenny Crossroads, uh, Athens, New York, one of the crappier pioneers in New York. So let's keep going, Kenny. We'll wait. We'll wait for Phil. Um, yeah, I mean those He's, those added. <laughs> Phil, Phil is the craft beer the pioneer. I'm not. The, I'm not okay. even close to him. But we so. talk about you know changes in New York laws and 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 cash flow from like cans. But you also did that special. Uh, oh, here he comes. All right, Phil Markowski. It's funny lately. I've been reading more of the Brewers Association books. Um, I'm trying to deepen my knowledge. Um, some of them are a little deep, but um, one of them is the. It's the great farmhouse book uh, by Phil Markowski. So you've been on my on my mind, Phil. Welcome oh. back to the show, man. Thanks, Jim. How are you? And it's my good buddy uh, Kenny from Crossroads Brewing up in Athens, Kenny, New York. And uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to yeah. meet you, Phil. Honestly. So we got Emily and Ken. Um, Phil, thanks for coming on. You know, um, talking about books and everything. Um, have you read uh, Magic Brew by uh, Pete Brown from England? I have not. Well, we'll talk about it later. But it was the fir- first book that I've read in a while that really distilled the principles of like the Brewers Association books and like your book into a little more uh, readable storytelling format. And we had them on uh, a couple months ago. But uh, welcome, man. So um, good to be here. Good to see you. So let- give us some updates, Emily and uh, and Phil. Haven't seen you. We were out there a couple years ago. How's Two Roads doing? Uh, Two Roads is uh, is chugging along. Um, we are. Thank you. We are adding uh, a new facility called Area 2, which is going to be all about experimental brewing. So it's a facility that's just down the road from our current location. Um, but it's, it's um, separated by, by a business in between. And um, so we'll have a, a bit of a campus environment. It's, it's on a, a separate lot that we bought. And we're building a 25,000-square-foot building, which is going to be dedicated to uh, doing barrel-aged uh, and sour beers, wood-aged beers. And uh, we hope to have it online uh, at the end of this year. We're currently in the construction phase, pouring the um, you know, the concrete, and steel will start going up in March. And uh, the building should be fully enclosed by uh, middle, end of April, and then we'll start moving stuff in over the summer. Um, and the plan is to have a, a 120 seat capacity indoor tasting room as well as a an outdoor deck as well as a rooftop beer garden so we'll have a lot of space uh for for outside as well as in and we'll also have a wetlands in the back we it's part of our our property is a wetlands preserve so we're going to um plant that with some nicer looking plants that are currently there growing wild 
We'll have a walking path where people, you know, seasonally can walk through there with a beer in their hand, so it's going to be great. I'll have a cool ship facing the wetlands so that in certain times of the year we should have uh, lots of nice microflora to That sounds cool, doesn't it, Kenny? Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, looking well. forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> So we were just joking before. Jeez, like, where am I going to go now? <laughs> and, uh, so Kenny's, you know, for 10 years, he had a, a seven-barrel brewery, brew pub up in uh, Athens, New York, and he's just expanding to a 20-barrel system. And he joked the last time he was on, it was him. And then, oh, Garrett Oliver was here. And he found out today, oh, I'm going to be on with Phil Markowski. So he, he's, he's humble, and he's, he's, he's actually inspired by your presence. So Absolutely. You know, but he's making me blush. Honestly. This is radio, so well, you're not you know, seeing my face turn red. But, he's not so, really thank blushing. You. But... I've been a very, very big fan of what you've done since uh, I had your very first beer at uh, Southampton. So I don't know. Am I allowed to say that? Southampton? No, you can no, say that. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. Let's, let's go way back. You know, Phil, this, going back to those days, you know, this is a good good show, I think, to talk about. We're talking a little about craft beer pioneers. You know, what was it like when you when you were first brewing out on at Southampton and well, I actually started in 1989 in Norwalk, Connecticut at uh, New England Brewing Company. And that's, that was the first place I, I worked as a professional brewer. At that time, we, we were uh, the second brewery in Connecticut. New Haven Brewing Company opened up about um, a month or two before we did. And at that time, uh, there were very few breweries. You knew everybody because you sought each other out way back when. Um, all told, I think there were less than 100 breweries in the States at that point, or maybe just over 100, and now there's 6,000 plus. So obviously things have changed dramatically. Um, what's different now from then is that uh, the average person back then didn't really have an interest in local beer. It was, you know, people who were, it was a, it was a fringe thing. There were very few people who actually came to the brewery, were interested in coming to the brewery, whereas now it's all about visiting the brewery, experiencing the place, um, you know, seeing the equipment, just, just putting a, a, a facility to the name, really. It's a, visiting the brewery's become so much more important, um, you know, local ingredients, if you can get them. Um, local connection is, is just so key now, and that wasn't the case back then. So... Um, obviously a lot has changed. It didn't happen overnight, but, um, I, it's obviously changed for the better and it's gotten to the point where I, I couldn't have imagined, um, uh, where it is today. But you asked me about my own personal journey. So I started New England Brewing Company in 1989. I was there until 95 and, uh, briefly went up to Merrimack, New Hampshire and opened a brew pub up there, um, just around the corner from the Anheuser-Busch plant interestingly enough. And this was um, when I first met you, Jimmy. If, uh, it, it, probably not too many people know about Muggsy's Chow Chow, but that's the, I remember that place in the, in the East Village where um, I don't think you had a menu. Just like, what do you want? I'll cook it for you. <laughs> and, no, 1990s, my East yeah, Village restaurant. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was such a cool place. And... and uh, then I went out to Southampton in 1996 and uh, was there until 2000, early 2012, when we we started um, construction on two roads. I had been working on two roads on the side for a while, um, a year plus, and two roads is actually um, 
it, so a 20 some odd year old business plan that we resurrected that we, um, Clem Polani and Brad Hiddle and I, two, uh, two of the other three partners, uh, worked on a business plan in the mid nineties to open a brew in Connecticut, had some, you know, conversations with backers and then it just sort of, um, fell apart and we shelved the business plan and stayed friends and, and worked together uh, a little bit over the years. Uh, Clem was at, at Rolling Rock and, and, uh, Brad was at Rolling Rock and the Bat and Pabst. So, you know, big brewery experience, but, but, you know, we're all in it now is, is we're all in, you know, it's, 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 um, two roads is, is the best thing that's happened to anyone, any one of us, uh, in our careers. So we're there to stay and, and it's just, it's a great group. We, um, nobody takes themselves too seriously and we, you know, we all have comp complimentary skills and everything's been, been working great. Great. Kenny, you want to, you want to ask any questions about two roads or? Well, I'm going back to the years that, uh, Phil's referring to, and I can remember uh, Long Island Brewing Company when Mark Bruford and Chuck mm -hmm. Williamson were there, and and you know how that all started. And you know, my first beer was um, Pete's Wicked Ale. So I guess that's a question I would love to ask Phil. What was your kind of gateway beer into the industry that kind of got you really excited and kind of catapulted I, you into saying this is what I want to do? It was um, early 1980s. I think it was Anchor Steam. Ah, that's a great beer, too. Um, I was living in Boston at the time. There's a better beer selection in Boston than there was in Connecticut, you know, where, I, where I'm from. And uh, I just took a chance and bought a six-pack of this stuff. It looked different. But how much then, was it? How much did it cost? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, 1980, it was still probably like $6, but I'm talking $1986. So uh, I blew through a better part of a student loan, just, you know, exploring all these different beers. It really, that really is, in my memory, what started it for me. And you know, kids, it pays off. Yeah. Uh, Invest in what lucky. you love. Right. <laughs> did, did, did you kind of like get into, um, I Jimmy, I Go for it, Kenny, come on. I'm just, I'm curious because, you know. Go for um, it, Kenny. Did you kind of experiment with any of the, you know, the imports, St. Pauli Girl? Um, oh, Bex, God, yeah. I remember yeah. my roommate coming back. Hey, I found this beer with a monk on the label. You know, let's try it. <laughs> and and I also remember um, opening a, a bottle of Berliner Weiss that I bought and saying, oh, this beer is bad. And I brought it back, and I demanded my money back. And the guy said, "It's oh, it's supposed to be like this. And I said, yeah, right. So I was, you know. But you had a bottle of Berliner Weiss in the 80s. I did. And I, I wanted my money back. So <laughs> shows you what wow. I know, but uh, knew then. But, um, you know, it really, that's, and that's what I remember just really kind of starting it for me. Just trying beers from all over the world. Didn't know what I was drinking necessarily. Didn't like them all. Um, right. But it, it yeah. still uh, started something. Uh, interest that hasn't faded. You know, even after all these years, it still seems like magic. Making Let's beer. make it so. It's great to have a little common ground yeah, here, some no, craft yeah, beer pioneers. And it's great Emily, story, what yeah. did you pour for us? This is pretty great, Jeez. too. This is our uh, Tanker Truck Sour Series. It's our Clementine Goza. Uh, we brew this in an old dairy truck that's outside our facility uh, just to separate the lactic acid from the main brewery. 
Um, and uh, I also brought our Persian lime goza, too, if you want to correct that. Great. Uh, this is going to be uh, year-round. Um, you know, it's funny. Is, uh, Garrett Oliver said in his uh, Oxford Encyclopedia of Beer, goza was one style that he did not include at the time. But now it's coming back. But we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, this is a special show. Our buddy Kenny from Crossroads in Athens, New York, is here. And uh, Phil Markowski from Two Roads walked in. So trying to do a little catch-up here. So two craft beer pioneers. I don't want to talk more about St. Pauli Girl and the 80s, but it does inform me as to what it was like back then. And these guys still got, got jazzed by it. I remember being in the 80s, traveling in Europe and having a Foster's. I never really like to talk about that because it doesn't really represent beer the way we think of it. But those were different times, and these guys got inspired, and that's cool. So let, let's jump ahead. Let's, it, it's the future now. Some breweries that we didn't think would close have expanded, and there's, there's financial issues. But it seemed to me that when Two Roads opened, you guys had figured it out, and you were ahead of the curve. Um, you know, wh- What do you think of the current situation with, with, with brewing? There's more breweries than ever. We all want to drink them all, and you guys are making great beer. But is this something we should talk about, or is that just boring? Um, I'm happy to throw an opinion out, but uh, I, I don't think it's boring. I think it's it's you know it's it's interesting what's happened. Again, I mentioned there was about a hundred breweries or so, maybe you know 150 when I started. Now there's over six thousand. Uh, you know, the vast majority of them are really small operations, and uh, they serve a local population, sometimes uh, literally a neighborhood. And that's the way it used to be, and that's cool. You know, that's the way it used to be way back when, um, before you had transportation that would allow you to send beer far and wide. Um, So it's a return to that, and I'd like to think it's going to last a long time, but I don't know that it will, unfortunately. Um, You know, right now there's there's varying degrees of quality um, between some really small breweries and, and, and at some point will the consumer not accept a beer that's not uh, consistent Will they know where they're going to get every time. You know, that, that's, that's a question. I think that's, that's in the room. That's fair to ask. And, and if, um, if breweries can't deliver consistently high quality beer, and the same every time, or nearly the same every time, are they going to stand the test of time? Um, that's that's up for debate. But I, I I think that 
right now there's this really great fascination with how local the beer is, and I think that's that's really the way it should be. I don't know that it will last, though. And let's talk more about Two Roads. When, when I was there a couple of years ago, I mean, technically you guys just maxed out. You had uh, There was a whole German welding crew there, you know, inst- installing systems. You know, just talk more about the standards that you guys have at Two Roads. Well, we, you know, we have um, high standards. We, we, we have, um, you know, invested in the best equipment we could buy. We have a, a very well-equipped uh, quality control lab. Um, we've invested heavily in that equipment. It's not cheap, I can tell you that. Uh, it's well-staffed. We have uh, lab people working two shifts, working weekends, uh, there's always somebody there because we're always brewing. We're brewing 24-7 now. And so we're the place is always active. Um, and you, you've got to be vigilant with every single batch and make sure that, that uh, it's, it's coming out consistently, that it uh, has no faults. Um, and if it does, you don't sell it. And you, you've got to stay true to that. So we have very high standards. We... Um, you know, we strive to make the best beer we can all the time. Um, we invest in education. We're educating our, our staff um, so that not only just trained and know uh, how the place functions, but, but trained in brewing theory. So we're investing in, in educating our staff always. Um, so we're going out, visiting other breweries. We learn things that way. We share information. We get we learn things from other brewers. So after all these years, there's still this community to craft brewing that's, I don't know that it really exists in other industries. You know, it's just everybody helps each other out. It's really phenomenal. And Phil, let's talk about some of the beers that you brought from, from your perspective. I mean, you've got, you've got some standards. I know you have a really good Saison, um, but we're tasting Gozes today. Yep. Uh, Gozes, you know, again, the, the, you mentioned Garrett Oliver didn't include them in his, his book. Um, they were nearly extinct. You know, there's one or two breweries in one town in Germany, as I understand it, still making Gozes. And then craft brewers embraced it, American craft brewers, and resurrected the style and redefined it, just as they've redefined IPAs. And now it's increasing in, in popularity. Um, I think that we're seeing people gravitating toward more moderate alcohol contents and beers. You know, people are getting away from, from a little bit away from things that are over the top. You know, nine percent double IPAs. There's only so many of those you can drink, but a beer that's four and a half to five percent range, um, you can drink those in quantity and and over a period of time. And to me, a Goza is a is a good example of a lot of complexity, a lot of flavor in a moderate to low alcohol context. So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement with sour beers these days, and there's a lot of appeal across the board. Wine drinkers have found that's a beer they could drink, that they enjoy. So it, it's got a, a lot of appeal. The Fruited Gozes, which is not at all traditional, is is the line that, that we're focusing on in the tanker truck series and it's been they've been received phenomenally 
And every time we make more, every time we release one, we make more, we think it's going to last a full quarter and that it's gone in a couple of weeks. So we're still, we're still learning that lesson. It's a good lesson to, it's a good problem to have. We just bought a second tanker truck to allow us to, to produce more. So what are the tanker trucks? How, how do they work? Well, they're, they're um, retired milk tankers. So, you know, they've got wheels. They're pulled by semis. Uh, we don't need to move them around much at our place, but it solved a couple of problems. The very first couple of gozes we made, we just soured them in the brew kettle. But it ties up the brew house for for 36 to 48 hours, and we we can't afford to do that anymore. And the other problem is that um, introducing lactic bacteria into the brewery, as Emily mentioned earlier, that's a big problem. So solved it by putting a tanker truck outside the building. It's well insulated, holds the temperature. When you sour beer, it needs to be in the 100 to 105 degree range, typically, for quick souring. And um, it's well insulated, it holds that temperature, and even the coldest conditions that we've experienced. So um, that's the tanker truck. So it's how, a real how, how thing. How big is the tanker truck? Um, it holds 6,000 gallons. Wow. So, so it's, it's kind of innovation. Big. It sounds very Somewhat. basic. Like it sounds like kind of beer 101, but. But it's, uh, I don't know if many to other who? breweries are doing that. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know, farm boy. I don't know. <laughs> Just pump it in the truck, you know. So uh, it's you know it's a real thing. People come to the brewery. That's the tanker trucks right there. Now, well, there's two of them. So it's it's right there. It's legitimate. It's um, so it's the inspiration for this product line. Can I come up, Emily, and just with a big sharpie write my name on the side of it? Anything for you, Jimmy. <laughs> yes, you can do it, but not yeah. anybody. Nobody else. <laughs> Nobody tanker else. truck graffiti. No. Art project. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. Let's pour, let's pour yeah. another beer, Emily. Yeah. Keep going. So we got the you had the Clementine Goza. Here, now try the Persian Lime Goza. Let me give you a little splash. Uh, this is going to be year-round starting February 10th. Um, and it's made with uh, Persian Lime juice from a local craft juicery in New Haven, Connecticut called Fresh Bev. Sure. Um, and Ooh, we're and there's a little spice in there. Thank you. Yeah, it's got, um, it's got rye. Thank you. Is there oh, there's a, rye? a very tiny little bit, a bit of, rye? of rye in there. Yes. Yeah, no, that's nice. And that one's going to be year-round. We also have a pr- passion fruit goza. That's going to be year-round as well. Uh, it's tasting great. That's going to be also February 10th. And then we'll do a rotating flavor. Uh, the next flavor that comes out in late March is going to be a Sauvignon Blanc goza. Mm. So a little tie-in. With like the on the lees or using wine lees or just? Well, we're, we'll, we'll use um, juice, Sauvignon Blanc juice. And normally in in white wine production they don't actually ferment on the skins they press the juice out and just ferment the juice red wines they ferment on the skins but not white wines so um what we do hope to do is is get some grapes from the southern hemisphere because when we're we're going to be producing the Sauvignon Blanc Goza it'll be happen to coincide with the harvest in the southern hemisphere so we're working on getting some fruit air freighted up that we would uh, have like New Zealand, have fresh South bev. Africa. Exactly, yeah. We'd, we'd have fresh bev, our um, local craft juicery in, in New Haven. They would crush it for us, and then we'd add that to induce a, what would be a third fermentation in the process. And adding that little bit of uh, fresh juice, and at that point we would put it on, we'd 
we'd allow it to contact the skins a little bit because it'll just give it a nice top note in the finished beer. That's great. I mean, did you think you'd be making so many different styles of beer at Two Roads? Um, I did. I did have a feeling it would. Um, it's uh, really what I enjoy is doing new new beers and developing new beers. So once we got our pilot system online and our second or late second, thir- early third year of operation, um, then I started to play around with that. So there's some beers that we do that are only available in our tasting room that are... Um, you know, just exclusives. They're only done seven barrels at a time, so they're small batches. Um, and, you know, I have fun. That's what I really enjoy is coming up with new, new you know, recipes. Kenny was talking about, he, so he's expanded to a 20-barrel system from a seven after many years. And, um, you know, some challenges, but it seems that the big thing, especially for new breweries, is lining up malts and hops. You know, um, I mean, I'm sure you take that into consideration, but do you want to talk about that as, as an industry issue? You know, having access to, to malts and hops. Um, malt has traditionally not been a big problem to source. Um, recall there was a hop crisis back around 2008, which, um, you know, still there's some reverberations of that. But basically, um, you know, farmers weren't making money selling hops, and they pulled out a lot of hop plants, and then that was not the best timing because that coincided with a a surge in craft brewing demand for hops um you know craft brewers produced at the time say roughly seven percent of the total beer volume in the in the u.s but they consume something like 45 50 percent of the hops grown so it really hit the craft market harder than it hurt you know the big domestics but you know farmers have adapted it just takes a couple of years to to replant new varietals and uh one thing that craft brewers didn't do until recent until this happened was contract production out years in advance so by contracting certain amounts of hops out years in advance you're basically telling the farmers what you're going to want three years from now so they can prepare for that so it's become less of an issue it sometimes gets played up as as a major crisis but it really isn't. You know, some varieties are a little short because they're proprietary. They're they're basically patented. So those who own the patents want to not give too much to you. So there's a scramble to get it, and they can be more expensive. But other than that, it's there's there's not going to be such a shortage of ingredients that we can't continue to produce beer. It just it takes time to react to market trends. And let's face it, craft beer trends are changing very quickly you know recently i was at in um, bridgeport connecticut at greg glazer from yankee brew news is his great international was beer and cider competition i don't know if you were a judge there but there was i was yes yeah it was there was quite a a representation of of connecticut brewing industry a lot of breweries i'd never heard of from all over connecticut i mean what, what do you think of the state of brewing in connecticut separate from you guys well, it's certainly changed uh, for the better in the last few years, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm you know, born and raised in Connecticut, live there now. Um, we were way behind you know, the national average in, the, in terms of the craft beer scene. So I wondered if it would ever happen that Connecticut would blossom in terms of craft beer, and it, it certainly is happening now. When we started to open two roads in late 2012, we were the 10th or 11th brewery in Connecticut. I believe the 11th, yes. 
And now there's like 60 breweries in yep. Connecticut. So it, it's really changed a lot. And again, many of them are, are smaller, but there's a couple really interesting operations that are, you know, like true farmhouse breweries. You want to mention really a couple? Cool. Like, I know we were at uh, we were at Brewport right in yep. in uh, Bridge, and I met uh, the guys from Firefly mm-hmm. in Bristol. Firefly, yeah. Firefly Hollow, and and there's um, uh, Kent Falls mm-hmm. is really cool, doing some really cool stuff, uh, growing some of their own ingredients. It just you know it's it's getting close to real almost self sufficient brewery, and the other one M is uh, there's a Fox Farm in Fox Salem, farm. Connecticut that's on a farm. They grow a lot of their own stuff. They have a cool ship. Their brewer Stephen is I used to brew at Brooklyn and Nagano. He's really great. They're uh, they're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Beautiful space too. So great place to visit. OEC is doing some really cool stuff in Oxford. And we've and, been up there too. Yeah. Yeah. So th- so there's you know there, there are many other. Um, great breweries and I, I i tend to get enough monday through friday so i don't go to weekends uh, breweries on weekends uh plus i'm usually shuffling kids around anyway and i don't have time for myself but um you know there's a lot of cool things happening and i i can't keep up with it there's no, so much great. changing it's that's a good, a good yeah thing. no it was it was fun to go up there and uh you know greg glazer's been such a supporter yankee brew news and uh I didn't know there were that many breweries in, in Connecticut, but one thing we don't do, we're not, we're not on top of the news, brewing news, openings, closings, and all that stuff, but um, it's great to have you guys. Kenny, uh, you know, you've you're got a 20-barrel system, big change from seven. You, you paid, all those, paid your dues all those years. You know, what, what's new about going into a bigger, bigger brewery? Well, first and foremost, I'm a very humble guy and non-money driven, so I want to express my gratitude to you for what you do and for Phil for what he does. I mean, um, I've been fans of both of yours for a very, very long time. Thank you. And but I what, so what's it. different about you growing up? You know what? It's, it's like I said earlier, you got to be nimble. You got to be able to, um, in my perspective, you know, um, it took me a long time to develop Outrage IPA. Um, it's a nine-year, ten-year project. I think it's got legs. Um, I think it's a great beer. I think it's, um, you know, been through the test of time. I'm looking forward to what it can do in the marketplace now. Um, I'm curious to see what the market does in, in you know, next couple of years. And um, hopefully I've positioned myself and, you know, my brewery to, uh, you know, to be a player and, and you know, the years to come. So hey, you know it's cool. You guys are talking about the kind of the whole like family, the the craft beer scene that you guys actually know. Your original brewer was Hutch Kujman, but Phil, you guys have a family relationship. Yeah, Hutch is my wife's cousin. And um I first met him uh twenty years ago. He was a college student who just started home brewing and um was interested, was actually working as a teacher out in Oregon and decided, you know, I want to do this brewing thing full time. And I said, well, you're, you're in the right place. A lot more happening in Oregon than there is in, you know, Connecticut, where he's from. And um, so he, he got a job with um, was, uh, Pelican out in Oregon, great brewery. And uh, that's where he kind of got his first experience um, as a professional brewer, but he's he's just got a knack for 
for blending flavors together. I mean, it's a hard thing to be taught. You kind of, I think, have to have an interest in brewing and, and cooking in order to be interested in brewing and to understand the concept of, uh, you know, working backwards, you have a flavor in mind, and then you work backwards on how to deconstruct it and, and, and reproduce it. So uh, Hutch has that skill. He's a really good brewer. Really, he's won a, numerous awards for you guys for um, Lake Placid, where he was before. Yes. I mean, uh, he's developed a name in the industry for himself. Um, you know, he's a, just like Phil said, he's an amazing brewer. And he understands, you know, um, how to make things work, you know, blend flavors. So Great. We're going to have to close out, but let's do one, one more quick wrap. Each of you, you know, softball question, you know, what's new, what's going on in, in craft beer, anything you want to mention uh, to our listeners? Uh, I think that uh, lagers are something to watch um, now and in the near future. I, again, I think there's a little bit of a trend toward things that are less extreme. Dare, dare I use the term more moderate? Uh, and lagers are, are an example. You know, it happened way back when they were first introduced. They really revolutionized brewing. They took the world by storm because they were crisp. They were lighter beers. They were beers you could drink in quantity. They, there was nothing uh, heavy and overwhelming about them. And a well-made lager is a, a thing of beauty. You know, it's, it's subtle complexity, blending of flavors. It's really the malt and hops talking. The yeast is kind of absent if it's made correctly. So... I think there's there's definitely signs of a growing appreciation of lagers, and I think uh, you know things tend to go in cycles and full circle, perhaps. And lagers is where we started, but I think we'll, we we're not going to go back to really bland, mass-produced lagers. I think it's going to be about flavorful lagers, craft lagers, and I think that's that's something to watch. In the do you guys future. have a lager? We have several. We do a pilsner year-round. Yep. Um, we just introduced our past winter seasonal with beer called Miles to Go. It was an unfiltered lager, um, not any specific style per se, but sort of between a Dortmunder and a Fest beer in characteristics. If I you know, were to categorize it just to explain it, but it's an unfiltered lager. Um, things that are unfiltered and, and hazy are popular, and I don't see them going away anytime soon. So hazy lagers throw that one out as, as right. I think New England lager. <laughs> and Emily, you, you got a book coming out. Give um, a quick plug. Yeah, it actually came out in October. It's called Beer is for Everyone of Drinking Age. Uh, it was published by One Piece Books, and it's a, kind of a beer 101 about some of my favorite styles. Very easy to digest. It has a talking crab in it. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, Emily yeah. Souter. It's yeah. cartoons too, right? Yeah, it's all yeah. illustrated. It's cool. So it's Love been. It. Uh, it was so much fun to do. I hope I get to do it again. And then Kenny, I agree one hundred percent with Phil. What he just said. Um, we're we're all about the hoppy pilsners. Um, I think that's the next trend. Um, we're in the process of developing a, a couple of recipes towards that uh, that uh, demand, and uh, I couldn't agree with more. Honestly. All right. And if you listen this long, just some updates. New York City Beer Week is coming up the end of February. Our annual New York City Brewers Choice event, Heads Up, is moving to July as part of July 
Good Beer Month. We've been sending that out to everyone. Put your support behind the opening bash, which is run by the New York City Brewers Guild. All that's at New York City beerweek.com and big thanks to our producer justin kennedy uh engineer david tattisher and tonight matt Pe- uh, peterson new guy and i'm um, jimmy carboni thanks for listening we'll catch you next time on beer sessions radio all right Woo. thank you For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.